Hey, Michael Ian Cedar here from TheLegacyOfYou.com, the place where emerging thought leaders come for inspiration. Uh, this is The Legacy of You podcast. And what's exciting about this one is the prior two, the first two podcasts of The Legacy of You podcast were about The Legacy Show, which is a show I do uh, down in Greenwich Village, uh, which the next one is coming up May 17th, 2017. Depends when you're listening to this podcast or not. But this particular podcast is an interview I did with Brooke Seam. If you do not know who she is, you you're about to find out, and you're probably going to fall a little bit in love with her because she's a remarkable human being who shares her story and shares her soul uh, with anyone who's willing to learn from it or get something from it. She's a chef, she's a writer, and she's a traveler. That's right. I'm putting traveler in there as a profession because she is out on the road, literally, as I record this intro, doing amazing things. I follow her Instagram, and like it makes me salivate looking at her Instagram. She's Zagat's 30 Under 30. She's one of Zagat's 30 Under 30. She's the owner and founder of Prohibition Bakery. You might have seen her in Chopped. You might have even dined in a restaurant she's been a chef at before. Um, but I want to just cut right to the interview I had with her. It was over Skype, so it was not directly in person. And man, I would have loved to have a conversation with her in, in person. Her energy is just absolutely radiant. And anyone who's willing to share this level of vulnerability is amazing. No matter what, I believe you're going to get something out of this. If you're interested in getting that voice outside of yourself, you know what? Brooke has done it time and time and again and reinvented herself. And isn't that something we constantly want to be able to look at? Like, how can I make myself better? What can I do next? Where do I go next? And how can I inspire other people? So here you go. I leave you with Brooke Seam. So this is our video blog this week, and I'm excited because we're using new technology. Well, it's not new technology, it's existing technology, but we're using existing technology to do something new, and that is an interview with um, somebody that got introduced to me that I'm really excited to introduce you to as well, and that's Brooke Seam. And here's Brooke on Skype. This is our new, this is a virtual hello. Hi, Brooke. Hello. Brooke, I turn to you and I go, number one, that is a cool background you have there. So tell me, where are you? Because that is a cool background. So I am on the roof of a building in the middle of Mexico City. And this is actually like outside right now, effectively, like kind of in the shade. And, and so just a nice place. So just hang, chilling in Mexico City, right? <laughs> Yeah, more or less. I arrived two days ago. Um, I was in Lisbon, Portugal, uh, for the past month. Love so. Portugal. Yeah, that place is great. Oh. Me and my, my wife, I told you, my wife loves to travel. We went to Lisbon. We went to Madeira. Um, so we went to both places. Beautiful place, isn't it? Lisbon, I think, uh, is one of my favorite cities in the whole world. It's, I, something about it, it just kind of feels like a hug. You oh, show a hug. Up And you're just kind of like, okay, I'm happy here. <laughs> and, well, and you like to travel, right? I do. Um, I've been on the road internationally since August of 2016. I was very lucky to have traveled a little bit. Well, it was quite extensively before then, too. Um, I did some volunteer work in Malawi for college and had uh, taken a couple solo trips and a few places. And then I just decided that, you know, I didn't, I didn't need to be in New York City anymore. I had kind of done that life. I kind of jumped straight to being a fully blown adult and I decided I wanted to regress a little bit and just frolic around the world. Frolic. So, so you worked so so you worked so hard to become an adult only to go, ah, regress, right? And it's Yeah, it's a 
terrible mistake. I mean, no one should really make work that hard to be an adult because we're all just children in better clothing. Like, that's it. So what's the point of trying? Well, maybe you're in better clothing. I, I think that I, I, I'm not quite sure if I'm in better clothing. I think uh, I dress better like at 13. <laughs> that worked, but it's still, but it's still better clothing. So then, tell me what? Okay, because you, you do have a cool background. So you're sitting in Mexico City. What got you to Mexico City? Well, um, you know, it kind of all started. Um, I got accepted actually into a program that allowed me to travel around the world, technically for a year. That was the plan, and then I kind of said. You know, life happened a lot in the past six months. I was with the program, and I said, you know what, this is uh, not going to work for me. Not because the program wasn't great, like it was doing what it was supposed to do, but I got a couple of opportunities along the way, and, you know, it just seemed like even even in a place, in a situation like this where I change locations all the time and, you know, have, I'm seeing the world, like you still kind of have a plan of what the next part of your life is going to be. So hmm. uh, my initial plan was supposed to be in South America for six months. And then I decided that I was going to go give something a shot in Cambodia. So I'm going to move to Cambodia and see what happens. And just, I don't know. So, next is, so the next stop is Cambodia? And why Cambodia? Well, so I met a boy. Oh, uh, there's and... always a boy with Cambodia, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I met a boy my first day there in November. And, you know, we sort of... On our second date, we spent a week together in the middle of the Cambodian countryside. It's a big date. You know, it's a long it was, date. Yeah, it was a very long date. Um, but, you know, all sorts of things happened. We got very close and kind of just kept it going. And we've been uh, continuing to keep it going since then. And so, so I think we're... You, Again, you, why not? You seem to be, why not? You seem to be a person who just sort of follows your voice. Like you, you're like, hey, this feels whether people you probably get. I, I'm assuming a lot of people are like, what are you doing, Brooke? Right? But uh -huh. you follow your voice. Why do you think it is that you follow your voice while other people are scared of that voice of let's move to Cambodia? Right? Why, why do you do that? Um. Well, I think. The, the first thing is that I have I just had one too many experiences where I didn't follow my voice and mm. you know five years later you're like well if I had just listened to myself five years ago all of this bullshit would never happen uh -huh. so like I think eventually if you're paying attention if you're really paying attention to your thoughts and your feelings in the process of making a really big decision or even a small decision you always know the answer it's just whether or not you choose to listen to it. It's whether or not you're too distracted by, you know, whatever the hell the world's going on in the world to actually listen to what's going on, like, inside you know, inside of me. Yeah. Right? So, and then I think it's almost like the first few steps. The first few times you really kind of try and follow your voice tend to be the scariest because you don't have any guarantee that it's going to pay off. Um, and it, it usually means that the outcome is unknown. You know, mm. I find that if we are kind of, following the status quo, we're doing that because we know what that's supposed to turn into. There's a sense of comfort in knowing the steps that are in front of you. And so you kind of ignore maybe, you know, your intuition telling you to do something else because one plan is clear, the other one's a complete crapshoot and, you know, we're just animals trying to survive. Like you're you're gonna go where you know there's food, not where there might not be food. Right. So it's I think you have to just take the initial leap. And maybe a few smaller decisions in order to really kind of 
start to become confident in what you sound like to yourself, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I like that idea of what do you sound like to yourself. And I think yeah. people, are, again, are scared of that because I'd rather go where the, the status quo goes, right? Follow follow that voice because clearly that's safe enough to survive, you know, as creatures yeah. of survival. So give me one minute because, look, you've got a really cool background. And for our, our, our guests watching this show, just give me some of the, the key highlights of, of – of your history, you know, of um, the path you've taken so far. Uh, give me the one-minute snapshot of a few things. Brag. Like, I want you to brag. You, you are cool. Okay. You are cool. Sure. I mean, you're, you're a cool chick. So let's brag about it for a minute. Okay, you're going to have to do the timing because I don't have a clock around me. All right, I'm timing it. I'm Go, on, man. I'm on Mexico time. Everything's very slow. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, right now I'm 31 years old. I was born in Reno, Nevada, and... You know, kind of led a typical, typical life. Um, the biggest thing of my childhood, uh, my father passed away when I was 15. So that's kind of when I kind of transitioned over into some sort of like adulthood uh, focus, I guess, more than mm. my peers. Right. I went to college in Middlebury, Vermont, and changed my major literally six times until they finally said, you have to pick something, otherwise you're not going to graduate. So I chose history because I had the most credits. And then I graduated from college and have not even thought about it ever since. <laughs> I immediately went to culinary school because that was the only consistent hobby I had ever had. Um, oh. Everything else that I liked would wane after a few days, months, years, whatever. But I always loved cooking. So we figured, okay, we'll like, give that a shot. And now's the time. Um, that was right before the economy crashed in 2008. So the thought process at the time was, Go to culinary school. If it doesn't work out, you can go get a real job. Yeah. And then a few months later, like everything went to hell, and it became very clear that I was never going to get a real job. So I had to keep sticking with this plan that had kind of just like create been created for me. So I uh, worked in kitchens in New York City for a little while. I did a little winemaking in Long Island. Um, uh, God, I finally started my business, Prohibition Bakery, in 2011. Uh, you know, I for five years. So for the three years in between when I moved to New York and started my business, like I was just job hopping. I was very unhappy pretty much everywhere I went, constantly quitting things, just had no clue what I was doing or where to even go. And then I started baking greasy cupcakes in my spare time. So that kind of turned into a you know little like side business, and then it became clear that if I kept following all the doors, it could become a real business. And so I had found a business partner by then, and we just kind of decided to try it. And we opened our retail store in 2012. Um, that, you know, small business in New York City selling cupcakes for $2 means you have to make a ton of cupcakes yeah. in order to make any money. And uh, so even though, you know, like the company's still open and everything, it's not been, you know, no one's a millionaire. So it's just, it's a hard life to work industry in New York. Yeah, but you've got um, a cupcake shop here in the city, and some of the restaurants you worked at in New York as a as a chef or, or in the kitchen were what kind of re what, what restaurants? Um, I worked in a couple more high end restaurants. I was at a, a big French restaurant by um, a chef called Daniel Boulud. Mm -hmm. He's very very famous now, and um, I worked in one of his restaurants for a while, and then I worked in more of an experimental restaurant for a while, and uh, just very highbrow type of food, very, you know, when you watch uh, 
Hollywood movies that depict a restaurant and everybody's yelling and very uptight. Like, it was kind of like that. It wasn't, you know, like a dirty flipping eggs kind of kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds almost me. Which, which, yeah, and your food and your food background recently landed you on TV, right? Yes, it did. Uh, Which is kind of funny because I was just preparing to leave for my trip around the world and I had basically kind of abandoned the idea of continuing to be a chef in any way. And then uh, Food Network and Chopped just kind of fell into my lap and they said, do you want to compete on this show? And I was like, well, I'm really bored, so sure. And that was um, in October of 2015 when I first was approached. And then I totally forgot about it. Like, they didn't get back to me for months. They finally got back to me just for an on-camera interview in, like, February or March of 2016. And then everything went very quickly from there. And we filmed in May. May? No, June. 2016, and uh, went on the show. It was one of the most stressful days of my entire life. By some like act of God, I, I won, which is still kind of wow. <laughs> and then I couldn't say anything for nine months because I was under contract, and the show only aired uh, a few months ago in February or a few weeks ago. Oh, how fun is that? <laughs> okay, and now Prohibition Bakery to Mexico City. It sounds like that's sort of the path, right? Yeah, so uh, in 2016 was kind of, I made a whole bunch of really big changes in my life, and one of those was uh, deciding to leave New York and travel, so, you know, my business is in wonderful hands with my business partner, and she's taking care of it, and it's going to be totally fine, and so now I'm on the road, and I'm not really planning on going back to New York City, other than to get some stuff that's still there um, at some point, and yeah, so I'm on the road, I started in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and have kind of made my way over back to North America, and then yeah. uh, I'm going back to Asia. I'll be in South Korea in April, and then down to Cambodia starting at the end of April, going into May. How cool! And what is it that was the catalyst for like this major life change? It sounds like there's there's something that made you pivot. Yeah, I think it was just thirty years of disinterest that ultimately made me pivot. Um, you know, I mentioned that my father passed away when I was a child, when I was 15, and it was very sudden. Hold on just one second. That plane overhead's really yeah. loud. Hold on one second, because you're oh, going into sorry. a big thing. All right, cool. Now it's gone. We do hear the birds, though. That sounds pretty. All right, oh, so keep sorry. keep going. Uh, just pick up from, as I mentioned before. Okay. Um, so uh, I mentioned that when I was 15, my father passed away. Yeah. Uh, was very sudden, you know, traumatic for a lot of different reasons, and um, I was an only child, it was just my mom and me, so life changed pretty much overnight, and, you know, I think as any good parent does, and people who are looking after a child, you know, they took me to therapists and whatnot, and ultimately I got put on a whole bunch of medication, because that's what you did at that time, it was 2001, I think there was, you know, Things have come a long way in the past 15 or 16 years as far as when it comes to medicating uh, children and adolescents. But at the time, that seemed apparently like the best solution. Um, I don't really remember being too involved in the decision, to be honest. That whole part of my life is kind of a blur. But I just started taking the medications like I was supposed to do and then continued to take them every day for 15 years and nobody monitored it. And it was kind of actually shocking how. Uh, the psychiatrists and doctors just like really didn't 
give a shit. Like I would move to a new new city or college or whatnot, and I'd show up and basically tell them like what I was on, and they would ask a few questions and give me a year's worth of medication, and I just kept doing that over and over again. So they they would give you a prescription without question, without even question. Without questions, yeah. I mean, they would they would kind of say to me like, "Is it working for you?" And at the time, I was kind of saying like, "Well, like I guess I mean I'm you know." haven't jumped off a bridge so I suppose by that definition it's working right uh but I also had no frame of reference and so that's what was kind of bizarre to me like I didn't know what it was like to live an adult life or even you know college adolescence I had no idea what it was like to be me without being on medication so that was the only thing that I knew and I knew that if I missed a day or something that things would get really bad I mean you go into total withdrawal symptoms and so I didn't want to feel bad ever so oh. I was like okay yeah I guess we'll just keep doing this and um so I kept doing it and then you know I was able to create a relatively successful life at least on paper but you know what would happen is every day I would come home and then I would just like sit kind of at home's comatose seat on my couch for days at a time basically right. um you know the the the, cocktail, the medications I was on allowed me to be kind of functional and to the extent that I needed to be, but then I never had any sort of ambition to do anything I didn't have to do. And again, I just kind of thought that was who I was. And right. then a few months before I turned 30, um, I remember I was on my couch and I think I had just started some really alternative therapy because I had tried, you know, traditional therapists and it just never really seemed to work. And so I was trying some alternative therapy that was over the phone and um, more of a spiritual base than like a mental base, if you will. And I kind of just had this thought that like I had, you know, I was about to turn 30, which to me that seemed like the official introduction into adulthood. Like I couldn't blame anything else on being a dumb 20 year old. Right. It's easy to blame. Hey, I'm a dumb 20. I'm 20. I don't know. And then you hit 30 and you're like, oh. They, they do really dumb things. I mean, I did a lot of dumb shit when I was in my 20s. And so, like, it makes sense. I mean, <laughs> totally acceptable to use that as an excuse. But once you're 30, you can't say it. Yep. Yeah. So, um, at least in my head. So, I, you know, kind of said, all right, well, I'm about to be 30. And this is what the past 15 years of my life looked like. And I don't want the next 15 years to be like that. And... Yeah, so I, I just remember being on my couch and, you know, I had this feeling for a while that I felt like, you know, I or I was I remember being on my couch and I was thinking about the past 15 years of my life and I didn't want the next 15 years of my life to really resemble that at all, at least in the way I was feeling. Like, mm-hmm. everything on the outside and uh, the way it, what I was doing and everything, that was okay, but the fact that I was didn't feel okay about any of it was not okay. And so I didn't want the next 15 years or however long my life was going to be to be like that. And um, because I felt like I was just kind of willing time to go faster. I was more or less just waiting to die in some way. It wasn't, you know, I, I had a little nugget of hope of like thinking like maybe this could be better. It wasn't, you know, I was lucky not to be, like, so suicidal that, you know, people were calling the suicide hotline for me. It wasn't that bad, probably, because I was on all these medications. Right, right. Um, they were doing their job to an extent. 
but I still knew that like I couldn't maintain the sort of uh, emotional state that I was in. And so, in what you know, most people I think at that point would probably just go to their therapist and say, "I'm thinking these things, and I need more medication." And huh. I kind of had the opposite response, and I was yeah. like, "Well, um, fuck this! I don't want to be on any more of these medications yep. anymore because I just realized that like." I just, I just didn't know anything about where my, like, ground, like, my homeostasis, homeostasis was, you know? I didn't have any idea, I had no idea how to compare myself to my actual, sorry, what's the word I'm trying to use? Baseline, baseline, that's what I'm trying to say. I didn't have any sort of baseline, so I kind of couldn't really actually figure out whether or not I was feeling better or worse or right. if I was healthy or normal or whatever it is. I had no idea because I had no baseline to compare it to since I'd been on these medications for so long. Which at this so, point it was 15 years you were on the medications, yeah. correct? Yeah, my entire adulthood, my entire college career, and then the last three years of my high school. So, you know, basically like there's a lot of, you know, your brain is very much developing during that time. And yeah. just kind of didn't know what had happened to it. I wanted to find out. Um, I kind of figured I owed it to myself to make the adult choice to be on medication or not because uh, other adults had put me on the medication when uh -huh. I was 15. Yep. And I was a grown-up now as I decided on my couch that day. So I needed to be the one to put myself on medication. And I couldn't figure out if I needed to be on medication unless I first got off of it. So... Uh -huh. I started, you know, I talked to kind of some of the people who were around me and made kind of a plan to, uh, I didn't want to start going off things until this uh, early, uh, or late winter of 2016, or no, sorry, uh, the beginning of 2016 was when I wanted to start going off because I had some, some just some stuff going on that I didn't want to suddenly throw in like a chemical imbalance into a mix. Fair. So I just waited until the time was a little bit better and then. Uh, just kind of started going off of them one by one and just kind of watch what happens. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, that's kind of when I found out that, you know, the CHOP thing had come through. Um, this program that involved international travel kind of came through. Actually, I found out about that the same week that I uh, found out about CHOP. And that was, you know, most people would be very excited and I just burst into tears. You know, and it just kind of felt like, found, or it felt like I had this huge overwhelming life shift directly in front of me and I knew it was coming which is a bit strange a lot of times when those things happen to people you don't know it's coming yeah so you don't have any way to prepare but I knew it was coming and all of these things are happening at once so you know managing the expectation and the anxiety around knowing that things were going to change was as big of big of an issue as getting off all the medications right. and actually dealing with the changes themselves the unknown, you're right, you have no clue. Um, but you know, you also know what's happening. <laughs> so. so how was this experience for you now? Uh, which which one? The, so you're pulling yourself off one by one, right? Oh. Oh, what was it, was it like, were you getting, was it a new world? Was it a new introduction to yourself? How 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 was it for you? Oh, it was pretty much the worst. Like, it was, it was awful. Um, because, you know, I had, then I had yet another like terrible experience with a psychologist. It's just, I think it was just like either I have terrible luck or just whatever. Um, 
But so I like tried to do it with their support. <laughs> she just kind of told me to go cold turkey and come back in a month. And I was like, pretty sure that's not the way to do it. But okay, like I told all of my, I told the people around me that it was happening. So, you know, they so were very good help. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, have a support they system. Checked in and stuff. But there was still kind of no real way. I mean, like the psychologist wanted to put me on Prozac while I was weaning off the other medications I was on, and um, you know, my intuition was just saying like, you cannot go on another medication in order to get off yeah. when you're on. Right. And so I decided a better solution was more or less just to lock myself in my apartment until all the uh, symptoms passed. Um, which for one of them is what I did because I had a very intense uh, couple week withdrawal period, and wow, you know. I think the only way I can really describe it is kind of like, um, I mean, I felt like I was going through puberty at 30. <laughs> uh, my whole body just became, it just changed. So I, I was so sensitive everywhere. I mean, it kind of felt like I had been walking around with a layer of cellophane over my body for my entire adult life, and I had no idea it was there. And then right. suddenly someone took it off, and the whole world was just like, completely overwhelming. I mean, to the point where, um, you know, clothes I was wearing, I couldn't, I physically couldn't wear anymore. I was literally ripping off my clothes because the fabric, like, felt like it was hurting me almost. Wow. Like, feel it for the first time. Wow. And then, um, you know, I became incredibly sensitive to sound. Uh, the world just suddenly got louder. It was like the volume was turned up and I did not know how to deal with it and I was in New York City and it's not a quiet place and it just, it was just so so loud. I can't even explain it. Just other than turning up the volume, um, my vision got better. I started to pick out details and things I've never mm. seen before. Um, and then, of course, all my emotions also really intensified as well. You know, I had for so long been in this uh, like a bell curve where I just kind of hung around in the middle, and you know, highs were lower and lows were higher, and it was all just kind of meh. My life was just fine. And then I felt like I got off the meds and I just like plummeted down into the complete like depths of awfulness. And that's, I think it's one of the biggest reasons why people immediately go back on medication because you think like this is never going to end. And it's not fast. And so, well, some of them, like one of them was like immediate fast. Um, It kind of goes in and out of your system within a couple weeks. And so you have all of these terrible, awful, intense withdrawal symptoms and then you kind of start to come out of it. But then there were other ones that had much longer term consequences. And so what's really frustrating about that is when you go off, like one of them I started to go off in something like June, but I didn't really start seeing like longer term withdrawal symptoms until April or September, or excuse me, August or September, because that's how long it takes to get out of your system. It sort of slowly creeps back. And, you know, you just kind of don't really know how to navigate it. Um, Right. Especially when you're feeling things you've never really felt before as a grown-up. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, it was, uh, you know, God bless the friends and family who were around and my poor mother who I called, like, sobbing every day for a long time. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And this, I, I, and this whole time that you're doing this, you're, you're doing this with the hope that there's another side, correct? That, the, that there is a through. Yeah, so what also happened at the same time um, is that, you know, there was kind of like equal and opposite reactions that were happening. So, you know, even though I completely like plummeted down kind of emotionally into just depths of hell, my creativity opened up in a way that I had never experienced before. 
and I felt like my intuition had opened up in a way that I never truly understood or experienced before. So I kind of felt like I couldn't go back. You know, right. I, the things that were good were just like too precious to even think about closing off anymore. And it became about managing the really bad days and trying to put as many good days in between bad days as possible. Interesting. Because, yeah. So even if I got one more good day, and, you know, if I had, like, one kind of breakdown on Monday and another one on Wednesday, and then the next week I had a breakdown on Monday and the next one on Thursday, like, I had to consider that a win. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So now that – and so where are you now in this process, in this path? Do you feel that you're through? Do you Are you still – is your body still acclimating to life without medication? Um, I would say that I think that I started – it's a little hard to tell like how much of this was still chemical withdrawal and how much of it have been the changes that I feel like not being on medication has allowed me to make. Mm -hmm. Like suddenly when you can feel the difference between highs and lows, you care a lot more about having more highs than lows. Like mm -hmm. when everything's just kind of meh, it doesn't matter what you do. You're just kind of meh no matter what. Right. Yeah. And you don't really make an effort to, you know, improve your meh to be a, little bit better of a bet, if that makes sense. Oh. But um, when you get off, when you get off of everything, it, you, it allows you to chase the, the good a little bit more and you start to pay attention to what's really good and how you're feeling and what makes you feel good and what doesn't and your state of mind. And, you know, I started to just do a lot more research. I started reading a lot more. I started paying more attention to people who were a lot smarter than me and who were saying things that even though I had heard them say it for 15 years, it didn't start to land right. um, until I got off of all this stuff. So I think that it took me maybe through about November or December to start to really kind of fall into my stride and understand a little bit more how to manage where I'm at now. Um, and so we're coming up about on a year of me getting off the first medication. And I think that I can finally say that, you know, it's not really running me anymore and mm. that I'm much more in control of my feelings and how I react to things and um, even now like if you know a bad day comes or you know some sort of like pretty bad episode or something even in that moment I have the foresight to be able to say to myself that it's not permanent mm. like I know it's going to pass well I, I love I don't know how far. <laughs> right you don't know how far but you know it will right and yeah. this idea of chasing the more goods right that you that that is that you have that to have hope right your hope is that there's more good there is more good and it sounds like you keep encountering more good um yeah. which is such a great thing and i think whether medications involved or not in someone's life chasing the good because you know what life's gonna not be perfect life's not gonna be happy no matter what right whether you're you're numb to something or you feel it all the hope of more good i think is a really strong thing for us as human beings like you said creatures of survival there is more there is more good there is more food whatever it is that there is so this idea of quitting you know you, you quitting a drug you know quitting an endeavor you know, how does quitting play a role in the fact that you're sitting in Mexico City about to go to Cambodia to pursue romance while leaving a business you created in New York City that's successful in the hands of a business partner? How does this idea of, of 
not necessarily quitting on life or quitting, but quitting, changing paths, pivoting. How does that play a role into this adventure that you've been on so far? You know, it's always kind of been, I have this theory that I've been kind of working on for a few years now, and it kind of came off of this idea of this depression and having things being very black and white, you know, good or bad, positive or negative, you know, there's never really a middle ground for me. Um, there are extensions of the black and the white, but at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, there is a line, there's a point at which it's either one or the other. And so I kind of started to think about the decisions I was making and the situations I was in as whether or not they were serving the good or contributing to the bad. And I needed uh, to get to a point where I could kind of have the balls to make sure that everything that was in my life was serving the good. And a lot of times that was a really hard decision to make because I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't physically, you know, quit or say that because it would hurt somebody else or the immediate consequences so often are the worst part. You know, you think that, okay, if I quit my job, I won't be able to pay for my rent in two weeks and, you know, but then if you really sit down and look at it, you can say like, okay, like I actually can pay my rent in two weeks. It's the rent in uh, two months, three months that I need uh -huh. to worry about. But what you've really done is then buy yourself time in order to let things settle and pivot. So, you know, I started kind of thinking of things as like this 50% rule where the decisions I make need to be 51% serving my life or not, or I don't do it. So... I basically kind of said that, okay, if I'm going to quit things, like I'm never going to be 100% sure about anything. Like right. about any decision I've made, I've never been 100%. There's always a part of me that's a little unsure, you know, logic gets in the way. So I decided that I needed to make my life a lot easier and just get 1% of the way there. Like I needed to make one little tiny change somewhere that would help me just a little bit get closer to that, that, you know, good and bad line. And so I just kind of made, started making very small decisions that didn't bring a lot of stress or getting rid of things in my life or even people, but kind of just didn't really bring too much stress. And then I got more confident in my ability to listen to my intuition and what it was saying about these little micro decisions that you make every mm. single day. And as I felt like I got better and could hear myself a little bit more in small decisions, I was able to make bigger decisions. Um, even if it, like, um, it just looks completely ridiculous on paper. I mean, everything looks ridiculous, the decisions that I've made in the past year. It looks completely idiotic, uh, but it, it's working. I, it's the only thing I can say is that it's working. So for somebody who goes, I know there's more for me to have, and there's more for me to give, and I've always known inside that I, I, I would like to try something new, you know, a lot, this is idea of the legacy of you. What do you want to be remembered for? You know, how, you know, which is your life, not someone else's life, right? The legacy of you is about you, 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 all of us, right? And so, as we said earlier, it's scary to not go with the status quo because it's unknown. Is there going to be food down that route? Is there going to be a roof down that route? Is there going to be uh, uh, a, a, uh, a job or finances or, or love or connection or significance down that route, we don't know. So 
I mean, maybe you said it with the 1% closer, but if someone were to come to you right now and just go, hey, Brooke, I, there's so much stuff I want to do, but I'm just so effing scared. What would you, what would your advice be to them? I think the first thing I would tell them to do is to compartmentalize. Um, try and get them to take, like, say you have, I don't know, 10, 10 parts of your life that for whatever reason are not the way you want them to be. Like, I would say to look at those 10 parts. And the first thing I would say is, is there a common theme? Because usually there is. Like, if there's a common theme, then you know that that's the problem. The problem is that, you, you know, you don't feel loved or you feel like you're taken advantage of, or you feel stuck or depressed or whatever it is. There's almost always a common theme, and when you address that common theme, you you just have a little bit more clarity on the whole situation. You know, it's never about like if I make enough money, then I can buy the thing I want, and that will make me happy. That's not it. Like it's, I think we all know that that's not it, but it's just kind of hard to actually. Uh, it's hard to figure out what it is because it's so easy to just put it on a thing or put it on a person. Um, so I would look for the theme first and then I would kind of address like, okay, what is it in this particular underlying theme that can be fixed and how can we fix it? And I would start really, really, really small. I would pick the easiest out of the 10 parts in your life and kind of say like, okay, you know, like for me, it's like a depression thing, you know, I could kind of say, all right, um, this is one of the biggest things, one of the first things I did. Um, I had been wearing all of my clothes that I had had in college in like the first year or two out of college, and I was still wearing all those when I was maybe 26 or 27, because I couldn't in my head rationalize spending more money on something that felt as frivolous as clothing. Mm -hmm. But every day when I put on my clothes, I felt like a child, I felt like I couldn't be respected, I didn't feel professional. And I just kind of felt shitty about myself. And that happened to me every single day. So mm. when I kind of made this decision that like, okay, you know, I needed to try and get 1% closer to this like level of like 50% happiness, right? Or just what little things can I do? I kind of said, well, you know, I'm going to take $200 and I'm going to go to a cheap store or something that maybe just not old Navy like I was at before, but just. I'm going to buy some clothes that don't make me feel like this. Right. And so I didn't really, like, the $200 meant that, you know, I didn't do a couple things that I normally did or I didn't buy coffee in the morning or whatever it was. But the next thing you know is that every day when I put on my clothes, I don't feel insecure or childlike anymore. I started mm. to feel more powerful and, like, professional. And it had just a very minor but long-standing impact on how I felt every single day. Mm. So these little I, one, so these little again, these one percent changes. You don't have to go. It sounds like you, you're, you're even saying you don't. You don't have to go whole hog, right? You see so many quotes like "take the leap," right? Which maybe the leap is good, but maybe it's a small leap, and then a bigger leap, and then a bigger leap, right? It's a leap to the level of your comfort that you're making the change. Is that is that what you're saying? For me, for sure. It's inevitable, but I think that most people. You know, me too. Like you, no one wants to start with that big leap because there's, it's just too much. It's too overwhelming. You know, right. there's always smaller things you can do uh, to kind of just gain a little bit of confidence in your decision making process first. And 
you know, like you don't have to quit your job right away, but maybe if you just make the mental decision to leave and start looking for another job or start exploring the hobby or the passion that you actually want to do, mm-hmm. like even that in itself is a small change that can ultimately lead to making that leap. But by then you've put enough of the pieces together to gain the confidence in order to actually do it. And it doesn't just feel like you're, and it's giving you just enough certainty and uncertainty that it actually becomes an adventure and not uh, a complete nightmare all at once. You know, so many times you're like, quit your job and pursue this. And, and I'm just, I know some people say that, and that's just not me. But I am sort of like the, you know, start thinking about it. Look at other jobs. Talk to people about it. Interview for something, yeah. right? Like, though, that's more me. Like, find the comfort zone within that change. And that sounds like such a cool way. To, yeah, to and I think, another, I think another really important thing is to, like, really honestly figure out what your priority is. Because I think if people people get very wrapped up in this idea or in, in that particular thing, and they, don't, they cannot actually figure out what their priority is. And, you know, for example, like, people sometimes say they want to make a lot of money and, you know, lead a very rich life, but then they focus on making a lot of money and the jobs that will make you a lot of money – Whereas, you know, they're kind of, actually, if they just relocated, they could probably make less money, still live a very rich life, and be a lot happier with less money. So it's not necessarily about the money, right? It's right. about it's about the things you're doing. Or, you know, for me, I've discovered that one of my, my probably my biggest priority is actually my location, where I am physically in the world. Like, I am not a person that can live in an apartment or a home in which it is not fully my own you know so like when I finally settle down like I can't just pick a place and pick a house and say it's good enough like it is so important for me to come home to a place that feeds my soul that I will build the entire rest of my life around that like the job the money the people everything else is secondary to coming home to this place that feels like home to me and that's and I didn't realize that for the longest time and that's a priority for you, but not necessarily for, for somebody me. else, right? And so we each have that. And and again, bringing it back to the initial idea of your intuition, right? You yes. know you want that. Like you say that, I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting anxious thinking about living like that, right? But I go, I love to have my, my, my kingdom in one spot and build and go in uncertain ways that way. So know what it is that you're craving. Follow that intuition. And like you said, start looking at your life in, in, in you know different compartments and breaking down within those compartments. What is it that I'm scared of making a change? What makes me scared of making that change? And then you're going to find a common thread. For you, it sounds like staying in one place, staying in New York, staying you know in a, in a city like this by itself is not something that's positive to your intuition while yeah, it is to it mine. Anymore. Not anymore, right? And it changes throughout your life. So, you know, I I was really excited to talk to you, you know, and especially this theme of becoming an adult. When do you become an adult? Because if I'm correct, you are a 30 under 30, right? Uh, by Forbes. Uh, I, not by Forbes. Oh, I wish it was by Forbes. <laughs> I didn't quite make the cut on that one. I tried, believe me. Um, but I was named 30 under 30 for Zagat, so they have, like, very culinary game changers. So, yeah, so, no, it's, it's very funny. Like, I got that award, and I was like, that's amazing. But the idea, but the but the idea of here's someone here's here's a world you know who said this is someone who's got their shit together who's under thirty right and now you're just coming to the story of like 
I am pursuing this new intuition, this new part of my life right now. And I think that's such a valuable lesson. It's why I wanted you to be able to speak to our guests on the show and, 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 and give them that hope of, you know, whether you, you might be 50 and go, now it's time to start thinking to my intuition. Yeah. You might be 15 and say, now it's time to start thinking about my intuition, you know, and it doesn't matter where you are in your life. That voice is inside of you, and in order to pursue the life which is designed for you or the life that you want to design for yourself or living on purpose, you've got to listen to that voice and taking those small steps, even if it's 1%, even if it's just opening yeah. up the web browser and typing it in, you know, or talking to your partner about the conversation or, or looking it up, right? Those are the things that get you closer to intuition. So. Brooke, thank you so much because I've been inspired by the conversation. I'm sort of like, I want to open the browser now and take that next mini leap to the next leap to the next leap. Uh, I, I want to just interject and say one more thing about that because I think that for a lot of people, like starting to listen to your own intuition is uh, the question is kind of like, well, I don't know what that sounds like. Like, how do I know? You know, and I would say that the easiest way to start to tap into that is really to pay attention to what you're wondering about. Mm. You know, kind of pay attention to where your mind goes when you're walking down the street and you're kind of zoning out and, you know, like, you know, you're just missing everything and you're kind of wondering, where is my mind going? What am I fantasizing about? And then pay attention to the things that come up repeatedly. Like, if you're fantasizing about traveling all around the world, then maybe it's time to start Googling that. Right. You know, if you're fantasizing about a different career or a person or having children or not having children or whatever it is, just if you the patterns come up and you're keep coming back to the same thing, even in your own fantasies, like start there, start following that thread. Yeah. And, and I might even like to add to that and say, journal, write it down, write these thoughts down. Cause you're not going to remember what you were thinking about a month ago. I look at my journal entries every day from the past years and I'm like, wow, I'm having the same conversation I've been having for five years. Perhaps I need to make a change, you know? And at a certain point when you can look at your own patterns like that, that's great. Well said, look at what, what's turning your head, right? Pay attention to what you're thinking about. Pay attention to what you fantasize about. And I think there's it, there within is your intuition by itself speaking to you very loudly. Well, Brooke, if I could give you a microphone and give you exactly 15 seconds to speak to the entire world, what would you want the entire world to hear if you had 15 seconds? Uh, you know, I think that it's really important to kind of, you have to honor yourself as much as you honor everyone else around you. If you don't do that, then you cannot serve anybody else. It's, it's not selfish. It is not uh, It's not something that should be looked down upon for people who say, I know what I want and I'm going after it. Because as long as you're not, you know, being an asshole in the process, then if you're happier, everybody else will be happier around you. And it just multiplies. And I think that is the most authentic answer you could have given, and I think a fantastic answer. Uh, so for our audience, Brooke Seam, you can go to her uh, website, which is Brooke, what is it? Um, it's my name, Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E-S-I-E-M.com. And she's certainly... But, yeah. but what? Yeah, that's my word. I was going to say, it's uh, all the 
URLs are I also have are spelled wrong. So if you totally spell my name wrong, it should direct you to the right site. So you've <laughs> you've bought your name in every spelling variation. So even I couldn't screw up spelling your name then, if that's yeah, the case. It's only four letters, but nobody knows how to do it. <laughs> well, you can check out her adventure at brooksteam.com. And thank you so much for being a role model to the Legacy View audience. And I look forward to tracking your adventures and hope you stay in touch with us and our audience. Thank you. Well, when I come back to New York City to like get the last of my stuff, we'll be sure to reach out. And So that's Brooke, and you could check out more about Brooke if it's not mentioned already at brookseem.com. Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E-S-I-E-M.com. And more importantly, what I really want to hear is, what did you get from today? What did you get? Write me at michael at thelegacyofyou.com or the Legacy of You on Instagram or the Legacy of You on Facebook. And uh, looking forward to sharing many more podcasts with you all. Cheers. Cheers.